Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Today on Sport Faith Life, we talk with Brooke Ewart, clinical counselor for athletes and founder of the Rocky Mountain Sports Counseling Center. The center offers support for athletes as they walk through things like a mental health crisis, injury, or even retirement. Also, partway through the podcast, please listen for an exciting announcement from previous Sport Faith Life guest, Reverend Brad Kenny of Soccer Chaplains United. He has special news to share about the upcoming Men's World Cup. Before that, we're eager to get to know Brooke and hear about her very important work. So, let's get started. We're so excited to have Brooke Ewart here with us today. Brooke, uh, share with us a little bit about sport in your life. Yeah, so I am a clinical counselor for athletes. Um, I see athletes of all ages, which we'll get into a little bit later. But life in sport for me started out um, in grade school, just playing multiple sports. I was lucky to be able to play uh, multiple sports through middle school, um, high school, which included basketball and softball and volleyball and gymnastics. I know I'm really tall right now, so that's probably a, a weird one, but was definitely shorter until my sophomore year in high school. And then uh, did tennis and track and water skiing and snow skiing. I kind of did it all. My parents just really encouraged me to do anything and everything in sport. Um, but in high school, I specialized in uh, high in high jump um, and basketball, obviously, because I grew. Um, and then maybe those are the ones that actually came easier to me. Um, I always tell people I was never like a superstar in any of the sports. I was just really good and picked up sport pretty quickly. Um, the funny thing about sport for me is the first sport or the first team sport I was ever asked to help with was soccer which I had absolutely no clue about, which was, I think, God in some ways humbling me and being like, well, you're going to do it my way and you're going to do sports that maybe you don't know about. Um, but I was just a very quick learner, even watching sport. I asked lots of questions. I watched a ton of English Premier Soccer just to like get a handle on the sport overall. Um, and interestingly, we were, when we were in England for the conference, for a conference, I actually made sure I went and saw an English Premier League game. I saw Chelsea and Leicester um, play. So it's funny, five years ago, Brooke would have definitely laughed at this Brooke now thinking, how do you even understand sport and who any English Premier, any English Premier League teams are? Um, but yeah, that's kind of been my sport story up until now. Oh, it's so great. It seemed like you had participated in everything except the world's most popular sport, and now God throws that on your lap. Oh, that's great. Tell us a little bit about uh, faith in your life. Yeah, so I grew up in um, a Lutheran home, uh, and it was like a generational faith uh, for my mom's family. Um, I actually know where my mom's family attended church in Germany. I've seen uh, the church there in Ulzen, Germany, but there's a, just a deep faith tradition, but there was really no personal relationship 
uh, with Jesus until I actually went to a water ski camp in ninth grade. And it was like an awakening. I don't have any other word for it, but it was like an awakening when I heard the gospel presented with Jesus as a personal relationship. Um, I still can remember that to this day. Like it was like blinders came off or like off of my ears too. And interestingly, God met me at a sports camp, which ended up becoming the field that I would work with one day. Um, but faith for me, uh, just the personal relationship is huge. Um, it keeps me very humble. <laughs> it allows me to, I always say to stay one step behind God. I, my favorite Bible verse in a verse that's in my office at work is in a man's heart, he plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps in Proverbs 16, nine. That verse has really directed me in my job, but also it helps me in the clinical setting just to remember like I may think I know where I want to get this client to but I just always try to remember like God's in this process too so to take a step back and just to listen even to the Holy Spirit in the counseling room as well even with non-believers too really trying to stay one step back. Brooke that's a fascinating connection between sport and faith that we're going to get more into as we learn a little bit more about your work but I wonder if we could just pause for a second and get maybe something about your life that people wouldn't know so that our listeners might get to know you a little bit better can you give us an example of something people wouldn't know yeah so um the thing that I always, I don't think many people know this, is that we actually have a daughter who is a professional athlete. She's a professional ballerina. Um, she is uh, one of the, if people do not, they usually ask the question, do you counsel her? And I usually say no. That would, she knows <laughs> immediately what I'm doing if I start even stepping into that, mm. that space with her. But I try very hard to just be present with her. Uh, but it's been a journey. It's been an interesting journey. It's definitely led me even part of it to where I am today as a clinical counselor for athletes. Uh, just seeing missing pieces and mental health for athletes. So, yeah, she's she's interesting, super fun. She left home very early, uh, which most ballerinas do if they're going to train really hard. Well, that's pretty fascinating. And, you know, leaving home and becoming a professional athlete, very few people think of ballet. But, mm. uh, yeah, the training that, that goes into that, the years of preparation, the demand for performances, the... Yeah the need to stay healthy, the, uh, all those things uh, remain. And uh, it's pretty fascinating for you to walk through that with her and, and see where that goes. I think uh, a lot of people, when they hear the phrase clinical counselor for athletes, they, they can fill in some pieces. First of all, they know what athletes are, right? And they, they have some sense of what clinical counseling might be. But I'm guessing that our perception of clinical counseling for athletes is maybe not exactly on target. I think it's probably the case that we might fill in some gaps that aren't exactly true. Can you tell us what that means to be a clinical counselor for athletes? Yeah. So I, first of all, I think a lot of things get caught up sometimes in sports psychology to um, more on the performance side. My my goal really is to walk into a space with athletes who are struggling with their mental health. So, and I, I think we are both trained in that way, but I think this is my sole focus is to walk through some tough stuff with athletes, whether it's, you know, suicidal ideations or depression or anxiety. 
um, and to use or to teach them skills to get back out onto the field or performing. Often there's panic attacks that come along with that um, if it's anxiety or depression. Um, so just really helping them to find a healthy space. Um, it's interesting, the room that I'm sitting in right now is not my office, but it's similar in space. And I always tell the athletes when they walk in, this is a safe place for you to explore or to express what you feel that you feel like you can't talk with anyone else. Because I think so often um, athletes uh, feel like they can't share how they're feeling uh, either with a coach or a peer because they're so afraid of either losing their spot or um, being benched. And I think that stigma is starting to go away little by little, but really, you know, to sit in a space with athletes and just to be very honest and to be very um, forthcoming about what can happen if you don't deal with your mental health, I think helps them to see that it's okay to share and it's okay to actually work through um, what they're, what's going on in their world. Um, and I really, honestly, if like anything comes through this podcast, like I love that space. It's like, it's what I feel like God designed me to do to be able to sit in there and to hold, um, what I would call like a sacred space for athletes, but also to just share with them, you know, skills, uh, and tools that they can use, um, to navigate, whether it's depression or anxiety or panic disorders or eating disorders, um, how to, how to, how to, uh, how to navigate that and to still be able to perform at high levels. I can hear in your voice, the, the obvious match quality that you have between the, you know, the job and your interests, which is such a cool thing that uh, you found a, a real deep calling and a sense of, uh, where your interests meet the world's deep needs. I'm wondering if you can speak more to, um, the uniqueness of athletes specifically. And I think maybe getting beyond sort of some, obviously athletes are, are high, high performers, oftentimes, um, you know, alpha type personalities who are very driven, very disciplined, also now on, on a public stage. And so performance is a big part of what they're doing. Um, while you're not doing performance coaching, you made that clear, you're, you're dealing with, um, with mental health. What is it, what do you find unique about, about athletes in that space that you're working with? Yeah, I think that the first thing is identity gets so wrapped up in who they are as an athlete. So it's trying to shift this. It's everything about me and it's all that I am. And so one of those first questions that I ask when they get into the clinic, whether it's on Zoom or, <clears throat> or if it's on, you know, actually in the space is to say, who are you away from your sport? Because I want them to realize there's so much more, but they often, you know, if we narrow it in, that's really all they have time for. Um, and so even just starting that conversation early, that's probably one of those first things, um, you know, they, they're they under an immense amount of pressure um, to perform, uh, when either if they're, you know, either a, a top elite athlete at the high school level, college level, or professional level. Um, when I think about athletes, like just even, you know, keeping, uh, clients, you know, anonymous, you know, even athletes who transition from college to the pro level, I'll have athletes say something like, well, I, I'm like, this is so hard for me just to sit on the bench. 
And I think sometimes even those things we don't think about uh, if you've been the best of the best in, in college, or college or in high school and you transition to the next level, um, you're probably not going to be starting unless you're, you know, what I would call maybe a genetic super freak. So those ones who are just maybe on the rare side and just even learning how to be a good teammate too. Um, so, you know, clinically, you know, there comes a lot of um, doubts and questions about themselves uh, that I really want them to understand. Like there's a process to being an athlete. Uh, you have to be patient. You have to have a lot of time <laughs> to be able to process and just giving them that space. But also, you know, athletes, you know, thinking about what the, what kind of pressures they're under. I think most people think, oh, athletes, you know, their lives are just so amazing. And I sit in a space sometimes where I think I wish that fans could see how hard it is to be an athlete because there's always these doubts. There's always these, um, you know, questions of, am I good enough? And I think, you know, fans sometimes tend to put them on pedestals and I, you know, I see the other side, what I would call the dark side, um, whether it's just from having a terrible, you know, traumatic event that's in their past or, um, you know, just, <clears throat> just the daily grind uh, and the doubts that come along with that. Yeah, and Brooke, I hear from you the description of athletes and I think every athlete would listen to that and be able to resonate with the pressure, the identity that is tied up in being an athlete and uh, some of the transitions from one pool to another and the, the challenges that go with that. But it's a pretty broad swath you're talking about there in terms of all athletes can can really experience at least some of that. But you're talking particularly about some more severe sort of um, representations, suicidal ideation, panic attacks, <clears throat> those sorts of things. How do you, how do you um, I'm interested in how, how do you find clients? How do find, clients find you? Uh, at what point do you say to a, a family or to a client, you know, it, maybe it's time to, to find a clinical counselor for, for an athlete to help you through this? So how do, how do we navigate what is going to be pretty traditional angst that goes with being a performer and something more serious. Yeah, I think when it becomes debilitating, that's like the first thing that came to my mind is when anxiety or depression or panic attacks are becoming debilitating um, so much so that they can't compete anymore. Um, you know, just thinking through clients that I've had in the last few years who have suffered from any of those, you know, topics or even eating disorders too, when they can't even compete because they're, you know, not eating well. I think, you know, having hard conversations of like, if you want to continue in sport, you're probably going to need to see someone that can help you that understands athletes and the struggles they go through. But, you know, going back to your question about how to, like, how would they find me? A lot of it comes from, from referrals of other athletes, which has been a huge shift. I would say in the last, boy, three or four years, I've seen a huge shift of athletes starting to talk to their teammates and saying, I know somebody who does this, or they're listening well. I think if athletes are listening well to their teammates, they can usually identify who's not doing well. And I always caveat this too, not everyone is doing poorly. There's some athletes who are able to have really good containment of life and sport and family and are rock stars at that. <laughs> I don't know 
how they do that well. Um, but when I see it, I'm like, yeah, they're doing they're They look like from the outside, like they have pretty good containment skills or how to, you know, how to hold those spaces well. Um, but yeah, I think referrals mostly come from what I've seen is athletic trainers, physical therapists, um, if they're trained, you know what to listen for coaches, um, teammates, parents, a lot of parents, very concerned, um, you know, if their athlete starts dropping off and is not competing well, uh, you know, and sometimes teachers, I've seen doctors now starting to get much more involved with this process, especially with injuries, um, because it's hard to sit on the sidelines. I've had a, a slew of athletes with ACL tears this year and just how hard it is to sit and watch their teammates compete. But again, getting back to that debilitation, when my mental health is debilitated, I'm not able to compete at a high level um, because I'm having um, depression or I can't get out there. I can't, get, I can't even get to practice. I don't even care about practice. Those are times for parents or anyone that's in a support system for an athlete to say, it's time for you to get some help. And we know someone or we know people um, you know, who are who are understanding enough or understand the struggles that athletes go through. Hello everyone, this is Reb Brad, Director of Soccer Chaplains United and Volunteer Chaplain to the Colorado Rapids of Major League Soccer. I just wanted to take a quick moment to share some exciting news. Something big is coming. World Cup 2022. This World Cup, Soccer Chaplains United is producing and publishing a devotional entitled The Light is Coming. This devotional is a collaboration of several of our chaplains and we'll look to have it available beginning November 1st, just in time for the start of the tournament. It's an eight-week, 80-page devotional with illustrations and it will feature readings that mirror the different weeks of World Cup, Advent, and Christmas. Each week, three different authors interweaving themes of faith, family, and football around a common weekly theme. Amazon, or better yet, Amazon Smile, will be the place to purchase your print-on-demand copy, and we'll have it available in ebook format for English, Spanish, and Portuguese as well. Anyone who loves soccer is encouraged to reach out and email us at info at soccerchaplainsunited.org for information on bulk rate discounts. Are you hosting a World Cup watch party? Grab a few copies to give to fans and friends. Does your church, club, or rec team have some World Cup fans? Get some books to give them away. This edition of the World Cup is special. It's the first time happening in this time of the year and first time happening in an Arabic country. We'd love to see this devotional get in the hands of many this World Cup season. Find out more information on SoccerChaplainsUnited.org or by emailing us at info at that same web address. Have a great Advent and Christmas and a great World Cup. So the... The work that you're doing is obviously one-on-one. -on -one. You're doing clinical counseling with, with the athlete. I'm assuming it's it's majority of, of the athletes. I'm sort of immersed in the youth sport culture right now in the phase of my family's life. And one of the things that I see are, is um, sort of uh, the, the young athletes, you know, taking on emotions that their parents are feeling uh, because of the relationship with, with parents, because of the ways in which parents who often also times um, act as coaches are sort of, uh, maybe not consciously, but impressing their, you know, that their emotions are sort of infiltrating the entire family. And so, and then a lot of that's based on, on the performance. So I, I guess my question is twofold here. Uh, do, are, are you, are you seeing that? Are there remedies for, for that that are maybe more holistic that get beyond just the athlete? 
And, and secondly, what, what do you see from your experiences with athletes related to maybe the youth sport culture in general, things that we need to do better? Yeah. <laughs> the parent side is actually part of my story in the sense that before I went back to graduate school, we had four kiddos competing in sport and I just saw some very unhealthy behaviors from parents, like things that I was just like, wow, this is not, this is not helpful. You know, parents screaming at kids, um, you know, furious, angry. I hear a lot from my clients, <laughs> their parents, just, you know, breaking down a whole soccer game in the car on the way home and they're totally zoning out um, because they don't care or they are like, I already know the mistakes I made. And I think sometimes, you know, it gets back to, you know, parents just being okay with watching. But I think, you know, there's a lot of vicarious living through youth sports right now. And there's a lot of money invested too. Um, so I want to be fair in the sense that I know parents have invested a lot um, and want their kids to do well. It's just, I, when I see the, the coaching from parents, you know, outside of sport, I think this is where it maybe goes into an unhealthy mode where their burnout could take place. Or, you know, kids just are like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to hear that. Um, and again, to be fair, I think some parents really do have best intentions for their kids. Um, I think it's just, you know, whether it's just like, hey, what are we doing? You know, that's, that's not helpful. It might be a good conversation sometimes with our kids. Um, you know, and I know for a fact for myself, like even like raising hand, like I've definitely been there where I've been like, you know, if you don't like it, then just quit. <laughs> but that's not helpful. You know, I think we just need to be better <laughs> listeners um, or, you know, just sometimes not trying to be advice givers um, if they're not asking for it and just, uh, you know, just allowing them to process or sometimes they don't even need to process it out. Um, think they just need to just experience the struggle of sport I think there's so many good things that can be learned from losing I think there's I think we I, I had a supervisor once asked me if I ever let kids in my office win at games when I played them like uno or cards or you know checkers whatever we you know were on the ground playing while we were trying to you know do kids therapy and I said absolutely not I think there's a lot of importance that comes from winning or from losing and the kids when they would beat me would be so excited because they knew that I that was a true win for them and so I think there's uh, there's a lot of lessons for parents you know whether it comes from like you know what did you lose what did you learn from that loss um, and what did you learn from that win I think there's good conversations for parents and youth sports but you know all the way up you know just how can we be, how can we be best supportive of you as an athlete yeah, so what I think I heard from you, Brooke, is that parents are the problem. Parents like Chad are, are the problem. Um, no. Guilty. Just, I'm delusional. Yes, just I'm delusional. paraphrasing to see if I had that right. Yeah. Um, okay. So since you, you, know, you let Chad have it, now it's your turn to let me have it. I'm going to take the coach role. And, um, and I think this is just generational, and it happens all the time, in that as you're coaching or as you're doing it for multiple years, it feels like the new athletes are just a little bit softer than they used mm -hmm. to be. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe it's just a, a perception. Uh, but, you know, you, uh, you wrestle with that as a coach in different spaces. Like, how much do I demand and how much um, do I give in terms of trying to exact excellence from athletes? Um, when 
I think when Simone Biles uh, decided to sit on the sidelines, uh, people had very different reactions to <clears throat> that that experience, right? So some people are like, oh, good for her, uh, mental health. Uh, finally, somebody who stood up and said, um, there's more to life than this. And there are others that are saying, look, at this is the Olympics, suck it up, get it there, right? And so there's always both of those things happening. Give it, Give us your big picture approach to sport here. And uh, go ahead and, and tell us, coaches, we're all wrong. <laughs> well, I don't think you're all wrong. I do think, honestly, I've heard this probably more in the last few years of, like, you know, athletes do feel softer. Um, and I don't know if I have, like, this is it. I don't. I think this is where actually some good research could start coming out for people who are really interested in sport and athlete and, uh, you know, just overall mental mental health and, you know, what is it that's, that's different? Um, I think part of it is a little bit of coddling at home sometimes I think makes kids softer. And I think parents have done a lot of trailblazing so that kids don't have a lot of struggle in front of them. And again, that's not to throw every parent under the bus. I think some have done a really good job, but, um, you know, one thing that I've, I've really seen, and this could kind of come into a little bit of the COVID conversation too, is the kids have been through a lot in the last, you know, I'll just say 10 to 15 years, whether it's just, you know, social or school stuff, uh, social media, I don't always want to like hammer out on social media, but it is, it is an issue. Um, I'll give you a good example. I didn't even know this, but on Snapchat, there is a thing called Snap Maps that has the, you can see where everybody is, all of your friends all the time. And, you know, when we were in school, if there was something going on on the weekend, we would have never known until Monday. Well, now they have, they have access at any time of the day to see if 20 of their friends are together and they weren't asked to be there. So I think that that's hard. Like that's just tough stuff to deal with. And so things like that, um, I think can make kids a little bit on the softer side of just like, I have to deal with all these things in my face all the time. So for coaches, um, I think part of it is just being really open and honest with kids. I've seen this. I just was talking with a, uh, a developmental academy a few weeks ago, and I just said, I think the more that coaches are honest with their kids or the kids that they're coaching, I think the better. I think if there's more awareness, um, these are the things that we're seeing for you guys already that probably are affecting you. Like, how can we walk through this with you? Um, but I think there are times when you have to demand, and I think there will be some kids that fall by the wayside, um, just cannot handle it. And I think that's that's those are the hard ones because we want them all to make it and to you know land on the other side softly, uh, you know, and have this great experience. But some I feel like just aren't going to get there. And I think that's part I think where the coaching aspect comes in and is like, oh man, like I thought this kid was just going to be that, you know, our superstar. And sometimes they just don't like mentally or, you know, physically, they just can't get there. And I think that's where those are the ones that hurt, I think, the most too. There's all these uh, witty one-liners that I want to say right now, Brooke, uh, <laughs> to get at Brian right now and to... <laughs> to accuse him maybe of being soft himself or whatever else. But I think to say anything like that would probably uh, be an injustice to, I think, the answer that you gave there, which is there, there's some there's some larger issues 
at play here. And you alluded to the fact that you get a chance to speak to groups at times. And, you know, we have groups that, that, that come into uh, to my college and speak to athletes as well, mental health experts that would talk about any number of different things. I wonder what you felt like is, is the demand on your time for speaking to, to larger groups beyond just the individual interactions you have in your counseling setting. Yeah, this has actually been where Rocky Mountain Sports Counseling Center is starting to get more and more requests, which is, hey, can you come talk to our cross-country team? Hey, can you come talk to our professional team? Um, and this is where I feel like I'm a little bit behind in the sense that the demands continue to rise and whether that means me letting go and letting others do it and not having my hands and everything, but also knowing that people are seeking so, so much support right now for their athletes, which I think is honestly so great. Like the teams who have reached out to us are actually highly concerned about their athletes. And they're like, we uh, don't have the skills for this. So can you guys please come in? And then, you know, there are really not that many sports counselors or sports mental health professionals. So I feel a huge responsibility in that to take that on. But I also realize there's only one of me. So as I as I've hired people, I've really tried to tailor like if there's a conversation about eating disorders, I know exactly who in my group is the person to do that. Um, so trying to let others, you know, go and talk. Um, I think the experience that we bring into this, you know, immediately makes us like an expert and putting that in air quotes. But I think, you know, one funny story that came out for me this year is I was flown out to meet with a team in L.A. And I walked in and it was Olympians. And I was like, how am I an expert in this room? But I think the thing that made me smile was I was like, God knows you're not an Olympian. He knows, but he's like your expertise level of what you're going to talk to these you know, individuals about is what you are the expert in, which is like how to help, you know, a coach and an athlete get, you know, to a place where they can work together well. Um, and so I think that's, that's also very humbling. Kind of going back to my Bible verse earlier, which is just like, I need to be better prepared for this, but also to understand the demand and the need is like increasing. And there, there really more people need to go into this field. That's my huge plug always is like, if you're interested in this, do it because the field or the harvest is so plentiful right now and there really are no workers. It's I would say it's like definitely a field to go into if you're, you know, an athlete or anyone that's a lay person that is like, I really, really feel a passion for athletes and their mental health. This is huge right now. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for the work that you do. And um, the fact that it, it's coming from a, a faith foundation just gives us all the more uh, confidence. And uh, would we would want uh, as many athletes as possible that need this work to be able to find resources. And so I wonder, as we sort of wrap this up, you mentioned Rocky Mount. Uh, could you give us a little bit more background on the organization that you're with? And then also for that um, university student, potential, maybe somebody out there in the field that is thinking maybe clinical sports counseling or clinical counseling for athletes is for me. What path did you take to achieve that or to end up in the space where you are? Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked this a lot for interns coming in, which is how did you, what was your pathway to uh, becoming a sports counselor? So I my undergrad is in psychology. My 
graduate level work was in uh, clinical mental health. And I just took classes uh, at, there's a university back east that has classes for sports counseling. Um, but, you know, then going on to get my PhD, which I'm working right now, part of that was because there's a lot of doors I still can't get into. Um, people are, the gatekeepers, which are doing a good job, the gatekeepers really want, um, you know, people with doctorates uh, to help with their professional athletes. So I honestly respect that. Like, I think that's good gatekeeping. Um, people who have been doing it longer. What I would love to do is break down the door so we don't always have to have uh, doctorates because that's a lot of work. Um, and some people aren't tailored to go beyond, you know, graduate school. So I think a lot of really good people could come out uh, from the graduate level and work well with athletes. I also think having a sports background helps. Like you, I've had clients come to me and say, oh, I went to a council before you and they told me to quit my sport because that was the problem. <laughs> we don't need them to actually come out of their sport in order to get better. I think they actually can work while they're in sport. Um, navigating and learning how to work through issues. There may be times that we say, hey, let's take a let's take a couple steps back and let's figure out how to get you to a really healthy place, especially with people who are like having suicidal ideations. Like, how about we take a few weeks off? Let's figure out what's going on. But I actually really like my athletes to keep competing um, as long as they can handle, you know, maybe some of the side effects that come with it. Because I think there's a lot of benefit for them. They've learned really how to navigate mental health probably pretty well with sport, you know, active. Um, and then, you know, I, Rocky Mountain Sports Counseling, so the reason we started five years ago really was because um, I saw a huge gaping hole for mental health for athletes. I was just like, where are they going? You know, what what's happening for them or, you know, who are the people who are providing support for them? Um, and part of that, you know, as part of my story, like I said, with our daughter as a professional athlete, as a ballerina, like she really, like there was nobody out there for her to see. Uh, but I think also I just had such a passion for, um, which I feel like was a calling from God just to really fill in this gap um, and to find people who were super passionate about it too. Um, and that's actually one of the bigger blessings is how many people are really coming behind um, and are really passionate about this topic as well. It's, it's a big topic right now on the national stage, and I think it's getting bigger. I think the more awareness people are that there's even support or help, I think that it's just going to continue to get bigger, which is, I mean, I 10 years ago would never have dreamed that would have been a conversation, and now it is. Well, thank you so much, Brooke. Um, if, on the way out, if you want to give some uh, connection to uh, your place of business or, or why how people can reach you, that would be fantastic. But we just wanted to thank you both of us for coming on Sport Faith Life and sharing uh, your world with us. And um, we just encourage you to keep going. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, Rocky Mountain Sports Counseling Center is in Lone Tree, Colorado. Um, we actually um, are really close in the sense like nationally of having a um, thing called the compact initiative which will allow uh, clinicians in Colorado to see athletes and just like I think we're at 17 or 18 states I think we're about a year away that is legislatively going through a lot of states right now which is great if not you can do life coaching with us which is where how a lot of athletes out of state do their counseling it's I would say it's a little bit of a loophole but um, I don't think I've ever had an athlete say no and so um, that's kind of how we operate. There are four of us that work at Rocky Mountain Sports Counseling right now. 
Excellent. Thanks so much, Brooke. And we look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.